0: Welcome to the Throws Genius Podcast. I'm Janine Kistner, your host, which as I was thinking about doing the intro today, it sounds odd to say host because what am I hosting? This isn't... I'm sitting in my car right now just talking to myself on my iPhone headphones recording this podcast, but whatever. I guess host is the appropriate name. But, uh, today, uh, I'm recording this on Saturday, February 15th in my car as I'm driving down to my second Highland Games of the year. Uh, That's right, it's February, and I'm getting into my second Highland Games. So I don't know if that is... This is is definitely a change of of pace for me. Um, The last two years, which were really the, the first real years that I've competed in the Highland Games. The last two years, my first competition of the year was the Arnold. Um, and I, as I've shared before, I feel like I have definitely underperformed in a lot of ways at the Arnold and, um, and you know, this year I didn't want that to be the case. So I have been, uh, I've been really lucky that we hadn't gotten that much snow in Ohio until this past week. So I've mostly been able to throw, you know, worst case scenario, the ground was wet Um, and it's been cold, um, but not having snow has been really nice. And, you know, I, I've seen people from other locales around, you know, the U S, uh, and the world, maybe where they've been training, uh, throwing in snow and like props to them because, um, yeah, it was, it was hard to get motivated to get out there and, and shovel off a patch and, and, and just figure out how to make it work and there was some other stuff going on this week that just I didn't end up throwing in the latter half of the week so I am very glad that I got out there and threw some uh hammer on on Monday so that was great um I did get in the weight room a couple times this week which has been really nice um I've been really really pleased with my progress at physical therapy um, i've been getting some uh some like traction on my on my leg to help i've 've got like immobility in my right SI joint and that and, and i'm a little asymmetrical in the way like my right um the right side of my pelvis is a little more um, anteriorly rotated so this physical therapist that i've been working with he is a competitive power lifter or has been in the past and he appreciates the um, the athleticism of what we do, and just I think understands better than anybody I've worked with before about uh, the demands that I'm placing on my body and what I'm capable of doing on my own outside of there. And so, rather than giving me exercises to like strengthen my core, he's been actually doing hands-on stuff. I've gotten some dry needling, um, and uh, he's been doing a lot of like. Uh, MOBS, like mobility stuff to try to, some things to like physically open up that, open up that joint a little bit, get a little bit of more flexibility back in there. I know that there's very little movement in the SI joint, but I guess I have even less than you're supposed to have in there. So I, you know, day of therapy as, as predicted, there's definitely been some soreness. Um, but like today I, so I had the PT yesterday and today like my back feels, just fantastic I mean I've been I've been cautiously optimistic in the weight room doing some things trying some things out that I haven't done in a while that I've just really stayed away from and so I'm just I'm really excited because I really didn't think that I just I really thought that my back was going to limit my potential long term and I feel like I see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel like I'm I'm cautiously like I say cautiously optimistic that I may have a little bit higher of a ceiling than I thought that I did so that is pretty cool and pretty exciting because you know honestly like other than my back and I had some um some arthritis pain in my right knee I had uh I had I tore my AC up uh let me go into the story so I you know I've been competing in track and field I started in like 95 in eighth grade, and there was one of my teammates in high school. She went skiing one winter and like fell and tore her ACL or tore tore something. She ended up needing surgery, but she missed the whole season. That was like maybe my freshman or sophomore year of high school, and that stuck with me. Like I had always really wanted to go downhill skiing. You know, I'd been I lived grew up in the country in upstate New York, so when I had my own cross-country skis and I always loved the little the little hills that you got to glide down. So I was like, man, downhill skiing would be so much fun. But I was petrified of having like a season or career-ending um, skiing accident. And uh, so then um, I was, fast forward after college, like this was like 2010. It was the winter of 2010. So I was like, seven years out of college. I thought, you know, I I knew I had had one year of eligibility left, but I thought oh, you know, that my clock has expired. There's no way I can use that eligibility. Let me go skiing. So um, there was this, uh, I signed up to go skiing. I just went on my own. I signed up for this thing and it was so much fun. Um, Just a a group, like there's this coordinated group. I just signed up to join up with them. Um, There was a whole, whole included thing. You just, you uh you met up they they took you there on the bus it included the uh so your transport to the mountain and then the ski stuff and um I don't even I didn't even do a lesson I just went and did like little bunny slopes and some green ones and and that was it so then uh second I went I was back home visiting my parents up in Albany and I and I drove back down to New York um where I was living at the time and uh I decided to stop and go skiing. This is ridiculous. It was like on a whim. So, uh, I went and I got a little too cocky and I went down a blue slope and I probably should not have. And something happened and I fell, but what really did me in was that my bindings didn't come loose on my skis. I don't know if they're, I don't know what's supposed to happen, but, um, my, uh, the bottom part of my leg went in a direction that the top part of my leg did not, and I ended up tearing my ACL and I think I had a little bit of meniscus, a, a small meniscus tear as well. Um, but I got I had to get lifted down the mountain. These these young kids that young kids are probably like high school or college, um, that were snowboarding. They were so nice to stop, they saw me fall, they stopped and asked if I needed help, and I tried to stand up, and if you are list, if this is gross, this might gross you out, so you can skip ahead 10 seconds if you want to, um, but when I stood up, I literally, I felt my top bone, my thigh bone, like sl- like slip sideways off of the, I don't know, if the, the one's of the femur, one's the tibia, um, they slid off, at this point, if you skipped ahead 10 seconds, you're probably listening again. Go ahead and skip another 10 seconds. I felt it. I f- just felt my leg like slide sideways in my knee and I went down. I was like, nope, not, nope, not going to work. Not going to be able to walk. So I just laid there in the snow. And uh, so they went and got like the ski patrol or whatever, first aid, and they came and got me, strapped me onto the board and... On one hand, it was kind of cool to ride down the mountain that way. On the other hand, I felt absolutely—I felt so dumb. Um, because I knew that it was, in a way, it was my fault. Because I had been a little too cocky about what uh, what I could handle. Um, because my attitude in a lot of things is generally like, oh, I'll figure it out. Like, it'll work out for me. I'll just figure it out when I get there. I'll figure it out. And, and that didn't work out. I didn't figure it out. Um, and so... Uh, So I get down and I go down to the, you know, the medical station there in the lodge and they do some checks on my knee and they're like, oh no, you know, it, it seems fine. It seems, you know, it doesn't seem like anything's torn. And I'm like, okay. And I, at this point, I'm sure my knee has just swollen up so much that there's just not enough mobility for it to do the thing that it had done before that you may have skipped past. But, uh, I get back to my car and, uh, and I drive myself back down and I... and it was my right knee and I'm right like you know that's the leg that you have to so I was you know having to use the gas and the brake and yeah drove myself back down and I ended up I don't even remember like if I right away made an appointment with an orthopedic doctor to get it checked out or if I waited a little while but ended up getting it checked out and lo and behold I did have a torn ACL yay so that was like December I think that um I the tore, that I tore the ACL and it was diagnosed um and I was teaching at the time and I knew that it was going to take a little while to recover from surgery but um luckily in New York City I don't know if it's still this way but we had like in February man teaching in New York if you could make it through the fall and winter like the first half of the year you get to January and we had like a week off like not a week off but a week of not teaching because of regents exams in the in January and then there was a February break and then there was like another spring break another break I think and then um so just a lot of breaks in in the second half of the school year that made it a lot easier to get through so anyway so I took advantage of that um February break the the surgeon I think he he did a lot of surgeries on Thursday so I just took two days off before the break I had ACL I had an, a hamstring autograph surgery um, so what they what he did I have a, a pretty wide incision right below my knee on the inside of my leg it's like hmm I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> my fingers through my spandex trying to see how wide it is maybe two and a half inches it's like two and a half inches wide, so it's it's wider than it would be if I didn't have an autograft. But they went in; it's a wider incision, so that, because they went in and took a uh, tendon from my hamstrings, ligament, hamstring, uh, tendon, yeah, tendon, because it attaches the muscle to the bone. So um, they took the tendon and uh, folded it over and used that to replace the ACL. Because I guess the the it, it's. Better in whatever ways than using a cadaver um, ACL, which is what the other option would be. So, um, I had that surgery on Thursday down in New York City at like NYU Hospital, whatever, something. Um, and uh, my dad came down from Albany and drove me back home, and I stayed at my parents' house for the next, you know, week plus. I had this fantastic, like, if anybody has surgery like this, I highly recommend it. I had to pay. Out of pocket for it because it wasn't covered by my insurance, but I really give a lot of credit of to, of of my for my recovery to this 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 machine. Um, I I think it's called a uh, game ready um, machine. Um, it it basically provides both compression and uh, cooling, um, so it it's like a long cuff kind of reminds me since then of like the Normatec but it doesn't cover that much of the leg it goes you know above and below the knee um, and it cycles you put ice into the the main part of the unit um, and it cycles uh, cold water this ice cold water through this thing that goes around your knee while also providing compression so it really helps reduce um, the post-surgery inflammation um, and as soon as I could I, I was allowed to or could or whatever I got up and was walking around first with crutches. Um, but then, I mean, and I don't, I don't, this is my only ACL surgery, so I don't know, it's typical, but, you know, I went back to work, to school on the the Monday, so it was, what is that, two, three, four, 11 days later, and I was walking, I was walking, I had a cane, but I didn't always use it, I tried to sit down when I could, um, but I was, I was walking around, and I don't, I don't even remember how long I had, if I had a brace on it, um, But, yeah, so that was... I apologize. I don't even remember why I got into this story. Something about skiing. Well, this has got to be fun for you. So uh, I really started recording. Let's get back to the main thing today. So the Tundra Games, hosted by the GLSAA. It's super exclusive. It's members only. Um, But uh, this game's down in Columbus. So I've got a little bit of a hike. And I... Um feel bad because I am definitely later than I wanted to be leaving. This is like the story of my life. Um so the games this competition starts at noon, which is fantastic because it means that I didn't have to get up like crazy crazy early. Um but getting up anytime before noon for me quite frankly is hard. I Uh, Which sounds ridiculous, but um, I've got time and you're here. So let me tell you about my sleep disorder. Um, You know, as an aside, the older I get, the more I realize, like, everybody's got something. Like, you know, when people, you know, behave in ways that you you think aren't the way that they should behave, you know, show people a little bit of grace because we don't know what people are going through. We don't know what stuff they've got going on at home or that they went through at work that week. And I'm not saying that that means let people treat you poorly, but if somebody seems a little stressed out or just you know, show people a little bit of grace. That's my my word of advice. Words of advice, Life lessons with Coach K. All right, so my this is a little opportunity for me to teach you a little something about circadian rhythm disorders. So that's what I have. I have a circadian rhythm sleep disorder. Mine is called delayed sleep phase syndrome. Um, so basically, um, everyone has a, their sleep phase. That's the time at night that they're asleep and, um, a typical, uh, circadian rhythm for someone with a typical circadian rhythm, their sleep, uh, sleep phase might be what, like 10 or 11 at night to like six, seven in the morning. Like if you're just left to your own devices, you don't have to, you're, let's say you are just away on vacation by yourself and you didn't have anything to get up for and you hadn't stayed up late the night before you know and just let your body go to like homeostasis what would your normal sleep phase be So for me and I know that this is the case because I I have had summers off you know and I've I've had time where I didn't have to get up um, before I was married before I had a kid and I also know well I'll get to this in a second so my Sleep phase is typically it, if I'm left to my own devices, it would be three or four in the morning is when I, my body will fall asleep, sometime around there, um, and I can sleep until noon or one. Um, yeah, so that's fun. Uh, that's made school and work and and family and stuff. It's made it really hard over the years, and I didn't I didn't really have and I didn't have an official diagnosis of this until. I think it was, like, 2014 or 2013. I, I didn't even know what it was. Um, it's, fu- it's funny. I was uh, a newlywed laying there in bed next to my loudly snoring husband and just was angrily Googling snoring online to find some kind of article to send him to tell him to do something to fix it. Come to find out, he actually has pretty severe sleep apnea, and he uses a CPAP now, and it's, like, it's been a huge huge uh improvement to his quality of life and quality of his sleep has really dramatically improved um but so- somehow when I was searching went down the rabbit trail rabbit hole of sleep disorder sleep problems I discovered this this DSPS this delayed sleep phase syndrome I started reading through it and I I've I it wasn't like WebMD where you're like oh yeah I'm dying I have throat cancer no. It was like, oh my gosh, this describes the symptoms that I've been experiencing as long as I can remember to a T like this is me. So I ended up finding a sleep specialist who, uh, had me do this, um, act- 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 actigraphy, I don't know, actigraphy, I think, I don't know. That's probably what it's called, actigraphy. Um, there was like a, a monitor that I slept with, uh, I think for a week. Um, that tracked my sleep movements and tracked when I fell asleep and and whatnot. And I think he gave me an official diagnosis as that, at that point. Um, but the medication that he tried to he wanted to prescribe me wasn't approved approved by my insurance. And um, and I don't know. I didn't find a lot of success there, so I just kind of continued just dealing with it because I mean this is something I've just dealt with my whole life. So I just kind of kept dealing with it. I didn't really think I was going to get any help. Um, and then uh, after, when we were in Michigan, I ended up um, seeing some, seeing someone at the sleep medicine uh, clinic up in the University of Michigan. And they did, like my first visit, they did a history and just, they were able to diagnose it, honestly, based off of me just describing what my history was with sleep. Um, and, you know, more so even than when I met with the doctor, Uh, in, um, the, the first doctor that I'd seen when we were living at our previous location. Um, it just, it, once I had that official diagnosis, I mean, it, I don't know that it actually changed things about my life, but just having the validation, having somebody validate that, like, Hey, you know, there actually is something like, there's a reason why you've been feeling this way and why certain things have been harder for you. It's not just that, like, I had heard sometimes growing up, like, it's not that I was lazy. Let me tell you, that that's hard to hear. I was a straight-A student in school. I was a very good athlete. Like, I did a lot of things very successfully. I was in a lot of clubs. Um, but, you know, Saturdays that I didn't have something going on, I didn't have a track meet, I would sleep until noon you know and I had a really hard time getting up in the mornings my dad had to drag me out of bed at you know six thirty in the morning to get to high school on time and I heard you know and no fault to my parents like they didn't know any better you know that they, they didn't know that there was this this thing um but I heard you know oh you're lazy you know like that that I don't know if they actually said those words but that was the message that I received was that people thought I was lazy because I liked to, I like to sleep late. So having all that, that baggage from all those years and, you know, so honestly, sometimes wondering, you know, maybe I am lazy. Like maybe I just need to try harder or work harder to get up, um, get up earlier to then finally get this diagnosis. And, and like I said, like at that point in my, it didn't really change anything. I, I hadn't figured out how to manage it super well and I didn't feel comfortable, uh, necessarily asking for accommodations because of it. Um but I it it just it just helped me feel a little bit better about myself. So I did I did end up asking that we would have staff meetings a little later. Um and when I I was assigned a class at eight A. M. and I asked if I could switch with one of the other instructors um to a later class to teach later and they did do that. And so um so that those those kind of things helped but um, but there's still a lot of people who are not very understanding. You know, I think when you have people who have um, uh, their chronotype is, is earlier, I think it's hard to understand what it's like for someone to have to struggle to get up even at seven o'clock, you know, like that because that seems, I think, not that early to most people, like not that much of a struggle to get up at seven. But that is it's, it's even now it's a struggle for me. And, you know, so I, I feel like I'm, I'm chronically late. This ties back to the Highland Games today, unfortunately. Um, But like, you know, I mean, if you can kind of do the math and work backwards, like me getting up at 7 in the morning, that's five hours before my body wants to get up. You know, if your body normally can normally get up at, um, you know, 6 in the morning with no problem, um, you know, imagine if for your whole life you were expected to get up at 1 in the morning. Um, like. Cause like, and, and you tell, I tell, you tell people about you have a sleep disorder and they like, they're always like, Oh, sleep hygiene, like, you know, keep the room dark and don't look at screens and like to do all these things. But like, I have tried it. Like I have tried all the things that's like, I mean, again, that's me like what telling somebody like telling somebody with a normal chronotype, like a typical chronotype. Okay. So. I hear you're having trouble going to sleep at 5 at, night, at five p.m. Well, you know, just make your room dark and don't use your screens. And you should be able to fall asleep at 5 p.m. Like, no, like your body, if you're trying to force your body to go to bed, to go to sleep, before it's really ready to go to sleep, like, it's not, it, it will not fall asleep. Like, there's a certain, now there's a certain amount of sleep drive that you can get from, um, from just being chronically sleep deprived and so sometimes I will be able to fall asleep before three in the morning um but that's that's when I'm like it's been day after day of me not getting enough sleep, like yeah, eventually your body's just like, okay, we need to shut down now um but anyway, so this is i mean it's it's a real struggle because also you know in our culture we've like made it a moral thing that like getting up early is to be recognized like there are a whole lot more articles that are touted about you know successful and rich people that are able to that, that get up at you know four thirty in the morning and a lot of really successful people credit their ability to get up tip earlier they, they credit their success to that ability and the, to get up earlier but then it's also made into a thing like oh well if you don't get up early, if you don't want to get up that early, then you must not want to be successful, and so, almost like, well, you didn't get up early, so it's your own fault if you're not successful, and not recognizing that some people really are limited, um, by their physical abilities, so, um, you may ask, is there no treat, isn't there any treatment, isn't there anything you can do, and really, everything that I've read, there, there is, there's some sort of controversial treatments, there's this one that's like, um, where you every night, you like you start at your normal sleep time, and every night, every night after night, you go to bed an hour later. Like you force yourself to stay up an hour later, and it's supposed to like advance your your time around the clock until you get to that time that you want to go to sleep. But from what I've been reading, what I had have read is that that can sometimes trigger people to have something that's like called N twenty four or free running uh what is it free running sleep phase or something like that where um you 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 basically like there is no set time that you your body wants to go to sleep this to me sounds as bad as dsps is i've been able to cope with it pretty well but this like n24 just like you don't have your your the length of your day varies from day to day your body's like quote-unquote day um And it just sounds awful like it's more common in um, blind people or people that um, live in environments where they're not exposed to natural light so like that you know our our circadian rhythm is is often it's affected by the light and that's why people say you know don't don't expose yourself to like to limit screen time especially at night Um, because um, okay here's more science for you so melatonin is the thing that triggers us to get sleepy um, and it doesn't like it, it's not a sleeping pill and that it like knocks you out and keeps you asleep. The best analogy I've heard is that it's kind of like if sleep is like a, a race in track and field, the melatonin is kind of like the starter's pistol. like it triggers the process to occur, but it doesn't actually it isn't it is not the process it's not part of the process. So um, everyone has uh, what they call their dim light melatonin onset, so DLMO. Um, and this DLMO in most people is like pretty, um, pretty like predictable and, and like relate, like normal, like someone with a normal DLMO will fall asleep at a quote unquote normal time. Like they won't have trouble. They won't have what I have. So, um, someone with DSPS, their DLMO is much delayed. So, um, so yeah, so I have a delayed DLMO. Probably, I haven't gotten this tested. I don't, I don't really feel like I need to get blood work done to like confirm that this thing that I've known I've had my whole life, I really have. So anyway, um, so what I can do to help get myself to fall asleep at a like decent, quote unquote decent time, is I take, uh, I take melatonin. So I, and I would encourage you if you take melatonin to help yourself fall asleep, Um, I would encourage you if you're taking a a high dose of it, I would encourage you to experiment with taking a lower dose. Um, I take 300, even me with my sleep disorder, I take 300 micrograms of melatonin. So it's like a third of a gram. Um, and there's, I allow it to kind of, the kind that I have, it kind of dissolves, um, in my mouth. I don't have to swallow it. And I I read somewhere that melatonin is better absorbed sublingually under the tongue, um, so I kind of let it dissolve under my tongue and swallow whatever's left um and I the kind that I'm taking right now it kicks in I think about an hour and a half after I've taken it and so I generally have to know that I'm going to be ready to go to bed when I take the melatonin um because if I miss that window like it's happened to me before where like I'll take the melatonin and I'll be sitting there watching TV or something and I'll feel it hit, but I'll like want to keep watching the show. And so I'll push through the drowsy feeling instead of letting my body fall asleep. And then what happens is that the, the, that effect of the melatonin wears off and then I'm awake. And so, and I I recently read that it's like not, I don't know why I didn't think of it before, but it's not that harmful to like take, take more of the melatonin. Like if you take one dose of it and it's, it, uh, like in it, like that I could, so what I've started doing now is like, if I miss the first window, I'll just take another, I'll take one more of the pills and then try to catch the second, the second window, um, and fall asleep. Um, so that helps with me at least falling to sleep at a like decent hour. Um, so I am getting more hours of sleep, but on the flip side of that, um, I still I still feel really groggy. Like even right now, um it's like it's like 10:15 and I feel like I don't feel sharp. I don't feel like as cognitively sharp as I do later in the day. I feel like pressure in my sinuses like in my cheeks and in my forehead and just feel like heavy. Um and I like people <laughs> people threaten you and you're going to have a kid like, Oh man, get your sleep now. Cause it's going to be so rough. Like, you know what? To be quite frank, I guess having a sleep disorder my whole life prepared me for being a mom because it did not feel any worse than I feel all the time. So I guess, you know, if you're a new parent, um, with, and you've got an infant at home and how you feel now, if you feel bad, tired, groggy, like I, I think that's probably the best way you can describe my normal, um, so it sucks, it's, it's hard, um, and I, like, I've learned to, I figured out how to just cope with it, like, I, I'm in a couple of groups on Facebook for people with ESPS, which has been, like, nice to get to talk to other people out there who have it, um, but, um, like, oh, I lost my train of thought, um, yep there you go I don't remember what I was gonna say that's okay um oh like so I so I read I've read about people that like have have really struggled to keep a job at all or um or really struggle with school and there's some people who like cannot fall asleep until noon um and I don't know if that's really really advanced sleep face syndrome or really delayed sleep face syndrome I mean at some point it doesn't even really matter what you call it it's just it just sucks um But uh, like, so I guess I'm lucky that I've been able to like cope with it to some extent. And like I was a I was a collegiate athlete and, you know, didn't get kicked off the team, um, even even though I really struggled to make it to stuff on time. Um, You know, I I managed like I said, like I got straight A's in high school, even though I was falling asleep in class. And then, oh, my gosh, there's one story that I tell sometimes I was in the middle of chemistry class in college and I'd fallen asleep again and so you know my professor did the thing that I know teachers do to try to (laughs) encourage kids to not fall asleep in class and he called on me to answer a question and I don't even know how I managed to do but I managed to answer the question correctly I'm guessing and so he moved on to somebody else and I went back to sleep and it wasn't that it wasn't like I was making bad choices on how I was spending my time and, and playing video games to all hours. Like I couldn't, I couldn't help it, you know? And I, I also at the time didn't know that it was like, I didn't know wh- why I was that way. So it was, I mean, you know, my, my roommates can attest, you know, to the fact that especially senior year when we had those the new schedule in the weight room, um, like I'd be up until two or three in the morning every night. <coughs> excuse me, I'd be up till two and three in the morning every night. Um, and then I would have to be up to be in the weight room at six 30 or six 45. Like I, I legitimately, I don't know how I survived that year. I mean, I would get, you know, ride my bike to the gym and then, and do weights and then, you know, take a shower and then just, I, I slept a lot on the couch in our, in our team locker room there. Thank goodness we had a locker room with a couch, you know, but I I was tired all the time. But, you know, it's a lot easier to cope with it when you're younger. Um, as I've gotten older, it feels like it's gotten harder and harder to get up in the mornings. Um, and, you know, and also I've noticed when I go through periods where I'm not getting enough sleep, um, <clears throat> like I get sicker. I get sick more often. I think it, it, you know, compromises your immune system if you're not getting enough sleep. Um, but, you know, going back to what I said earlier, like even even if I'm able to fall asleep at a decent hour um, and able to get myself up out of bed at a decent, you know, quote unquote, decent hour, like my body still f- feels like it should be asleep. And so until early afternoon, I still don't feel like I'm functioning very well. So, you know, I've been thinking more and more about what kind of changes I could make, you know, I don't I don't know career-wise, and and whatnot, um, to be able to cope with this, so, uh, yeah, anyway, so, this is my, not my excuse, but if, if you're competing with me in a Highland Games, or you're with me in the morning, and it seems like I'm not fully with it, or I, I've been, was running late, like I am today, um, please know, I'm very sorry, I feel awful about it, too, and, uh, and life is just hard for me with getting up in the morning. So that was that was part of all of that. So yeah, on my way down to Columbus. Um so let's talk a little bit more about I don't know. Training, Highland Games stuff. Um I don't know where to begin. I'm actually gonna pause, I think. Yep. I'm back, and I found my train of thought. So um, I, I digress starting to talk about um, my ACL. I talked about the sleep disorder before that I was talking about my ACL. Where that started from is the, the... I was saying how I've got this back pain, and I thought that that was going to limit my athletic, kind of limit the ceiling, my, the, my potential. The only other thing that I've been dealing with really some pain that I've had on the outside of my right knee and when I saw a physician about that the indication is that that's probably a result some arthritis uh, from where I had the small meniscus meniscus tear um, back when I tore my ACL so um, I have uh, been taking a glucosamine supplement Um, I should make a caveat that like I'm j I'm sharing what works for me. Y'all gotta do what works for you, like and check in with your physician before you take any supplements or whatever. Um but uh my uh I've been taking this uh I was researching and there's the mo the, the form of glucosamine that's been indicated to actually be most effective is uh glucosamine salts. Um and there's there's one brand in particular that I found uh it where it's available in that form in the US. Um it's like uh, glucosamine sulfate, I think and since I've been taking that I really have noticed a marked difference and I mean it feels like my knee pain has gone away and I think I'm training uh, harder than I that I ever have so I I do have an unloader brace that I bring with me um, if I start to notice any kind of pain in my knee but like I've been really lucky I really haven't needed to use it as much as I thought I was going to so um so yeah so now that, you know, this, this chronic back pain that I've had, I mean, literally since I was in high school, since the nineties, you know, it's been more than two decades since I've been having chronic back pain and it had gotten worse over the last, the last, you know, five years, five, 10 years it's gotten worse. Um, but you know, the idea that some of my really severe back pain could be resolved and you know, the knee pain's gone. Like I, I think, you know, sometimes I wish that I'd gotten into the Highland games earlier after college um, but by the same token, you know, opportunities for women in the sport have really been growing. And so I feel like I'm getting into it at a good time now. Um, and at the same time, I don't have like my training age is younger and I haven't, my training hasn't taken as big of a toll on my body as it, as it would have if I had been training really hard for more years. So hopefully that has extended out my uh my like training longevity a little bit longer and extended out hopefully my highland games career high high level whatever my high level is <laughs> career a little bit longer um, so so yeah and i i so I am really excited i i I was really lucky when I was thirty that I was able to go back and and throw and compete on a pretty high level as a collegiate athlete, and I feel really lucky now in my late thirties. Uh, you know being 38 and being able to train pretty strong lift pretty heavy weights like I'm 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 really excited I I, I'm excited to see where you know where what kind of my ceiling is I I want to really push and see what what I can do so so yeah so that's pretty cool um the i want to talk a little bit about the tundra games today i'm really excited there's a big group a lot of women that are showing out today there's uh a few classes of masters women we've got a novice woman signed up there's an open class there's a and an a class and um it just seems like it's going to be a pretty a pretty decent group today um and i think i talked about this on one of my previous podcasts so i won't go into it into too much detail um but, yeah, I'll I'll come back in after the games and we can talk about results. You know, I am – there's a lot of snow on the ground. And so this can go one of two ways. We'll either be throwing in snow, um, which I actually think at this point I would prefer to – the second option would be – which would be it melting, I guess, be to, before we start throwing or while we're out there, which I do not want that to happen because that would mean – throwing in a lot of ice cold water so before I left I ran back into the house and grabbed an extra extra pair of shoes and a bunch more pairs of socks because I am thinking that our feet are going to be pretty wet and cold today Um, so that that'll be miserable Um, I do have toe warmers and hand warmers that I brought with me Um, and like I did a games in Virginia in November that was pretty cold but I feel like the difference this time around a real difference maker is going to be the water. So hopefully it will stay in its frozen form in the snow, but we'll see. Much rather throw below freezing weather with snow than just above freezing with rain. Like those are, there's a world of difference between those two. Um, so yeah. Um, and after the games, I'll, I'll record some thoughts, feelings, emotions. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe try to grab some, uh, grab an interview with, uh, one of my friends that's throwing down there. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I am trying out longer spikes. I wear cross country flats. I am going to be trying out longer spikes today. Um, seeing if those help me. I'm interested to see for, especially for hammers, how the longer spikes work. I even have, I have inch long jab spikes. I don't know if, if, it's going to work. I have them separate. Like, I got a bag of them. But I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to, like, change the spikes out. And, like, inch-long jab spikes, not going to be what you want to have in your shoes for, like, open stone. I've got longer, like, longer spikes than I normally use are what I have in there right now. And I think those will be doable and hopefully helpful. But we'll see. Pardon me. Apologies. But we'll see. So... So yeah, but I am, you know, one of the things I started saying is, you know, I've I entered in more games this year because I wanted to be better prepared for the Arnold, um, and I also kind of want to just like spread out my games for the course of the year a little bit more instead of having them clumped so closely together um, through the summer. But um, and I was really, you know, lucky to get invited to that East West games um, to go compete down in Florida, and we were so lucky with the what? Not lucky because it's mean it's Florida. Um, but it, I felt lucky that I was getting to throw in weather that nice, um, in January. Um, I get it. I get it. Why professional athletes live where they live (laughs) when they get to train, you know, why professional track athletes live in warm climates. It makes sense. It's not surprising at all. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. So yeah, so I have my, my throwing boxes all loaded up with stuff, um, ready to go. I brought extra towels. I got tape and a blanket and I have my, my, I guess it's a balaclava. It's a head sock. <laughs> it's called it Uh wiener hat. So maybe that I'll end up making that the, uh, the cover of this <laughs> cover of this episode. It's me and my wiener hat. Um, I have a great picture of it, of me in it that somebody took at the last games where I wore it. Um, but yeah. I'm just excited to get out there throwing with some friends, having a good time, good competition. So, and that's what it's all about, right? Having a good time, having good competition and just having fun. So there you go. I figure out how to pause this. <laughs> and I figure I love the app that I use to record these podcasts on, but the the trim feature is 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 not the best. It's all right, but it's not the best. All right. Signing off for now. Woo! All right, folks. Well, it is about it is almost 1 a.m. and I am pretty darn close to getting home. Um today uh on the whole just a a, a typically awesome fun day at the Highland Games. Now, I will say I feel poor Emily tweaked her back um like on the third or fourth event of the day like the third event of the day so she was out so that that really sucks like you never want to see somebody get hurt when they're competing like that I'm sure she's super tough and super strong though so I'm sure she will she'll be back and be be killing it um so thoughts to you Emily for speedy recovery from your back tweak but um on the, on the day, man, one of the cool things was that there was a really big turnout of women. I think we, there were 34 women total. Um, I didn't get how many, I didn't catch how many men there were. Um, but we definitely, we outnumbered the men. So that was cool. There were two groups of women, uh, one group of men. Um, there were a bunch of novices that came out today, which was really cool. Um, there was a group of about five uh, from the Buffalo Heavies who came out and competed, um, and that was a blast. I like throwing with the Buffalo Heavies group a lot. Three three of us from Catherine's Crushers from the team competition were there, um, Adam Kellogg and uh, Jen Cunningham-Taylor, so that was sweet, um, and uh Let me run over Mark's real quick. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I saw, I seen the results, trying to remember what everything was. We, um, the group I was with started on WAB, and we were the first group to do Weight Over Bar, thank goodness, because the, one of the downsides of throwing outside in, there's more than one, but one of the downsides of throwing outside in Ohio in February is that it is cold and the ground is wet and it was wet today we threw hammer into a into a pool not literally it was just it was a wet it was a wet area um anyway so we started on wab and um luckily we were the first group luckily for us not for the other groups luckily for us we were the first group there so um on the day so the the ground wasn't too torn up yet. They did, um, end up bringing out some rubber mats, um, which I think that helped keep the ground from getting too bad. You know, at least there weren't like big divots, but it, man, it looked really squishy, um, where everybody was standing by the end. And I can't imagine that traction was, um, you know, great, which at least, you know, no nobody, I don't think anybody was spinning today, but God, that would have been insane to try to spin today on that ground. But, um, but yeah, Wob was a great start for me. I cleared sixteen six, um, and so that was that was exciting because that's definitely you know ahead of where I started, where I was at the beginning this time last year certainly. So that was pretty cool. Um, then we went to Waits, um, and I think I went. Uh it's a little off on weights. I haven't practiced them in a week or two. Um and so and the, and again like the ground was wet. It was sloppy. Um I'll blame it on that. Yeah. Uh <laughs> I went like I think I went thirty five nine in heavyweight and um sixty-eight and change um on lightweight. So um I think my median mark in heavyweight last year was like a thirty six. So 35 yeah, is not bad and the 68 that's really solid um, for me especially like at this time of the year so pretty happy with those again especially considering the ground um now I did um so I throw most of the events just about everything I wear these cross-country spikes that I got used at like my during my first year of competition I picked them up and I had been using the pyramid spikes that were in the shoes when I bought them. So the spikes, like the actual shoes, have actual metal spikes in the sole. And they just have them under the, the balls of my feet. Just in the front half of the shoe. Um, and I... So I think these were maybe quarter-inch pyramid spikes. And I've been wanting to tr- experiment with longer spikes to see how those worked. And so I got like five eighths spikes and then I got some, uh, some, the big, the big one inch spikes that you'll see javelin throwers use, especially when throwing off a of grass. So, um, I had already put in the five spikes. So that's what I wore for, um, for weights for distance. And, um, and I liked it pretty well. I didn't feel like it did anything to my knees, like, I I think it, it helped, like, because although my technique was a little bit off, I did not, I did not slip, like, they, I, so they served their purpose there, um, and also, I am excited because, uh, I, so I hook grip for my weights for distance, um, and so for, if anybody doesn't know, hook grip means you grab the handle and you wrap your thumb around it, and then you wrap your fingers over your thumb. So that creates a more solid grip. And in addition to that, I also tape my thumb and I apply some tacky, some pine tar tacky. I use the Throw Bros toss and sauce. Um, and it was thick today because of how cold it was. Um, but I apply that to the back of the, the tape that's on the, or on my fingers, um, where they, they hit the tape and that you know, I was already hook gripping, but still sometimes it was slipping out of my hands, and that the addition of the tacky has just been huge, super helpful. So, if this is if that's a problem for you, that's something I would recommend trying out. So, then we went from weights to hammer, and it, we took like kind of a long break uh between weights and hammer. Um, and so I was like, hmm, this is a chance for me to change into my one-inch spikes. So I just sat down on my uh, my throwing box, and I changed out the spikes. Because I figured I could try the one-inch spikes and see how they worked for hammers and for stones. And, you know, we ended up uh, with the hammers. We, we ended up down at the far end of the field. And um, let me think. Heavy hammer... I think I went six to sixty eight in heavy hammer too. I think I went sixty-eight or six no sixty-six maybe. Um upper sixties in heavy hammer. And then in light hammer went eighty-two. Um and I ended up it got really sloppy down there um behind the trig. So um that 82 was really like maybe an 84, because I I from where I actually released it, because I had to I just stepped away from the, the where it was most sloppy. I just didn't want to out risk uh slipping. Um and also didn't, I use I ended up using tacky for light hammer. Um I just cuz I was it was feeling like with the gloves. I use receiver gloves for a lot of the colder events. Um it, when it's co- in colder weather. I use, I wear a football receiver's glove when I throw weight over bar, um, and I don't hook grip. I just kind of let it hang in my hand. I don't even grab it with my thumb around it. It just, something about the way my hand is built it just sits in there nicely. So, um, but was, what was happening is I was starting to get um, some like hot spots and some blisters and, and tearing some of the skin on my right hand when I was throwing lob. So I started throwing with a receiver glove to just kind of um, protect my hand. Uh, the skin on my hand a little bit more, um, and then and I also I will wear those gloves actually when I'm throwing stones too when it's really cold. Um, what I and what I use for um, for weights for distance I got this like a glove at like Ace Hardware I think like oh I think that's where I got it I think I got it there like a work glove that uh, that um, like a fingerless work glove um, and uh, I cut off. The most of the thing that goes around the thumb because I, I wanted to have I wanted to have protection over my hand because the, oh, here's why I went with this glove this kind of glove too and not just tape because an issue I was having with the tape is that the tape would slide on my fingers um, if I just had the tape and then, and I wasn't and I think I was also getting some hot spots on my hand, like in a spot that I couldn't cover it with tape so I still, I tape around my fingers because I will still Um, have some issues with like blistering and tearing skin if I don't use tape around my fingers so I tape just around the knuckle um, at the base of my fingers like closest to the hand so I use I take a a roll of tape and just tear it in half and tear a strip and so I put like I just do like a layer a layer or two around my fingers and then I put the glove on over that put tape over my thumb um, and then tacky on the thumb so that's what I do for the weights for distance um and then, for a hammer, I will typically use tacky, but it was like super cold, and I know the tacky like I wasn't sure how great it would um function um or if it like would even matter for me, so I just I wore my receiver gloves because I've been practicing with those more um <laughs> the The games I did met hands games in Allegheny, New York that he does his uh fraternity games that he did uh does it was like the first weekend of June last year. I was like super excited because I had new equipment and he got those new gloves um, and tried them out last year. Yeah, big mistake to try something new in a competition. I should have practiced with them and just gotten a feel for like how much I could crank on the hammer um, and try to accelerate with it because I definitely lost the hammer out of my hands uh, early in that kill zone and it. I, I don't know what I would have done if I'd actually hit somebody, but it definitely could have hit somebody with where it came out. So I have practiced more with the receiver gloves at home practicing. So I have a better sense of like how much force I can apply without losing, um, losing the hammer out of my hand. So, excuse me. So hammers. And then, and then we went to stones, stones. Stones. Um, and we threw like a 14 pound Braemar, like a nine pound open. Um, and I went like 36 and change on open and twenty eight eleven on Braemar. So, um, you know, one of the goals I had going into today was to get Mark's, um, like I wanted to start out the year early, like a full slate of Mark's Um, because I know like at the Arnold we only do five events and the we do open stone but it's a heavy stone so it kind of makes it look like you're like your open stone mark is a little depressed by that and we throw a 16 pound sheaf and you know it's a challenging caber um not a challenge caber challenging caber so um you know I wanted to one of the things I wanted to do this year was come out early get like a games um like in January in Florida maybe and then uh we didn't we didn't throw a mark or heavy hammer. So I wanted to get another games in where I had those marks just so for myself, I could establish that baseline. So that's one of the purposes that today served. And so I was, I'm pretty, pretty happy with how those marks went. And because we used a pretty heavy open stone, you know, moved up my mark in open stone and moved up my mark in the weight over bar. Cause I went 16 in Florida and then going 16, six today. It was pretty exciting. So um, my PR in Wob is 17 feet, and I've I think I cleared 16.9 once, I think maybe, and 16.6 once last year in like the pursuit of getting to that. I'll get what was my ultimately my PR at 17. Um, I've only gone, I think I've gone 17 twice, so this was like ties my fourth best throw ever, so that was pretty cool. And then after the games. Um, there was a whole bunch of us that went out to this Mexican place and like, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm just now getting home. But, um, as you may have listened, you know, I, uh, I do have that sleep disorder. So like, (laughs) I'm not that tired yet. Um, but it was absolutely worth it to be able to hang out with everybody. Um, just, it was just so much fun. I feel like Especially, like, the people in the other groups. Like, there were a bunch of the guys that came out, too, and the, some of the master's women. Um, and, you know, so often um, we don't get to spend time together um, on the field, really getting to know each other, like, within, between the different classes. And so that was just, it was really fun getting to do that today. So, all in all, a really fun day. Um, yeah. This is going to run like an hour, so I'm going to shut this off now. Uh, Next game's is Yarnold in three weeks. I hope some people listening come and check it out. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Throws Genius Podcast. If you'd like to connect with me, Janine Kistner, about the show or the heavy athletics or whatever. The best place to find me on social media is probably on Instagram. You can search for Janine Throws, J-A-N-I-N-E, T-H-R-O-W-S. And that's also how you can find my athlete page on Facebook, if you search for that on Facebook. Um, I can also be reached by email at throwsgenius at gmail.com. And if you like the Throws Genius podcast, would you rate and review us and maybe share it with your friends? Thanks so much.